Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another scintillating episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds and I'm joined as always by Shaheen Khan and Henry Newman. How you doing guys? Excellent, doing well, Dan, but it's not as always because I'm going to miss the next couple. You're going to miss the next couple Radio Free HBCs, Henry? Yes. Where are your priorities, Henry? How dare you? It happens, Dan. It shouldn't happen twice in a row, Henry. Sorry. Are you going to be in a clean room or a safe room or something like that where you have absolutely no access to electronics? No, I'm going to be at my new house on the property doing inspections of things next oh, Friday, excellent. a week excellent. from Friday. Are you using the deep penetrating sonar to make sure there's no bodies buried there? Already, they already dug it out, Dan. We're not worried. After seeing that lot, I'd be a little concerned. And that reminds me, I've got to do the director's cut of the horror of Henry's house that I recorded on my trip down there last year. Maybe we'll make that available to our viewers. But anyway, he said in a brilliant segue, this was a big week for quantum. <laughs> Another quantum. big week yeah. quantum. It seems there's a lot of them this year. Another big week. Who wants to break it down for us? Henry, Shaheen, don't rush. Shaheen, when do you get started? All right. Well, two things happened this week that are noteworthy. One is that a scientific paper was allegedly mistakenly put on the NASA website representing the research that Google and NASA have been doing on quantum computing. Published and depublished. And well, and then it was rapidly pulled out. Of course, this being modern ages, there's an archival copy of it that's been floating around. And it sure looks like a really drafty kind of a paper. Mm -hmm. It truly looks like it was a mistake because it's just not ready for publishing. And it looks like a work in progress. There are mistakes here and there that are silly that just happen during the normal course of writing a paper. However, the big deal was that it was claiming quantum supremacy. Yes. Quantum supremacy, meaning they did something that could not be done with traditional computers, and that's really a nirvana of it. However, you also have to say quantum supremacy doing what? And reading the paper gives some clues. Yeah, it was quite the speed up from 10,000 years to 200 seconds. And 10,000 years on the fastest, a supercomputer. The fastest supercomputer we have is the claim, just to be clear. Yeah, Not that, that the correct. system's going to stay up for 10,000 years. <laughs> well, I don't know. You'd have to keep replacing things. But 10,000 years is what I call a long time. And 200 seconds, not long at all. Correct. But we don't really know the workload. So the workload as it emerged, to crudely simplify it, is that it's generating random numbers. But it is looking at a random sequence of things and it's making some decisions about it and doing so with the traditional computer really apparently takes a long time. So it's not like it's quantum supremacy doing PowerPoint. It's not like it's quantum <laughs> supremacy doing Monte Carlo or something. The most intriguing part of this is breaking up encryption. If he can do the so-called Shore algorithm, then you have a shot at decrypting some of the encryptions that are out there, not all of them, but some of them. And there are already new, quote unquote, quantum safe cryptography out there that is more immune to it. But if you look at quantum supremacy as a spectrum that starts from really simple kernels to more and more sophisticated things, maybe going through quantum chemistry, because, well, it's quantum, 
yeah. and then eventually getting to something like a short algorithm, then this is the very first step, assuming it's even correct. Interesting. I'm just thinking about that in terms of encryption. And yeah, that, well, well, I, that could be a big game changer. Yeah, and I believe it actually had a slight impact on cryptocurrency prices. At least that's what the chatter was in different chat rooms, because Bitcoin dropped by about 10, 15% as it's wont to do. And people were wondering why, and they were suggesting that this news had a little bit of an influence on it. Although the bigger influence was this future exchange that Intercontinental Exchange launched called BACT. So that was relevant to this well, thing. And when you talk about cryptography, Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies get affected. Hmm. Right. And that's going to be interesting for the whole cryptocurrency market as another one of the challenges they're going to face. I'm not heavily involved in the market, but I don't see a lot of discussion in the, the technical. There, there is some. There's already at least one cryptocurrency that uses a different encryption algorithm that is more quantum safe than the traditional SHA-256. And even SHA-256 is way better than RSA or some of the other things that we use around the web. Well, it depends. RSA what? R RSA yeah, exactly. what? Yeah. RSA yeah, yeah. 3072, RSA 4096, or what RSA? Uh, the one that is typically used on websites for e-commerce. Okay. Well, the thing is, I'm not sure anything can withstand a solid quantum effort. When we get to a point where we have a quantum machine correcting. Yes. But the upshot is that we are still years away from that. It is an extremely tempting claim to make, it could, even if you it made it happen. It could be decades away, too, Shaheen. It's possible. We don't know. It's like debugging. You don't know how long it takes until you find the bug. Now, hold on. I want to make one comment. There is, to a degree, the bug is a is something we know that you can bound the problem by, by number of lines of code and the hardware itself. And you, if you th know where this it's coming problem from. Is, this problem might not be boundable. That is correct. All right. So, yeah, all right, Dan, take it away. I just had another brilliant segue that you kind of took a leak on, but let's go ahead and and make that move. D-Wave announced a significant step forward, or what will be a significant step forward, in their 5,000 qubit system that's on their 18-month technology roadmap. That is the second thing that happened this week. Yes. That was notable is that D-Wave is going to 5,000 qubits. That's the largest system they've built, and that is significant. That's very significant. And actually, the most significant thing to me in that whole announcement is that they're going to be sporting more than 150 existing early customer-developed apps in things like financial modeling, scheduling, quantum chemistry, simulation, et cetera. And that's a big deal. That is a big deal. Yeah, and of course, deal. they have the first mover advantage here, and they've been at it for a long time, building all the applications and working with all the different people. However, it's also important that not all qubits are created equal, as Henry likes to say. So their qubits are not the same as IBM qubits or Google qubits and Microsoft and whatnot. There's something like a dozen serious efforts and many research projects on this, and they're all over the map. It'd be interesting so, to get a table of qubit definitions. Well, the list that I've managed to come up with is, these are just go with the buzzwords. There are qubits that are described as solid state, photons, electron hole, lasers, huh. trapped atom, trapped ions, positronics, boson sampling, and just silicon-based. And that's not even the full list. 
But right there, you've got eight different approaches. Mm -hmm. There are some chemistry-oriented approaches to this as well, because fundamentally, you're trying to get quantum superposition going and then manage decoherence and error management. And there are different ways of doing this in just looking at matter. Hmm. And which one of them is going to be good at what, which one of them is going to win, is really left to be seen. Yeah, that adds a whole other aspect to this. In the winner is going to be defined by, in my opinion, not necessarily the qubit type, but the application. Yes. The problems can be solved. And those who get to problem solutions quicker are going to be the winners. Yeah, absolutely. Whoever brings the environment wins. Right. And by the way, I think the perspective on quantum computing is not too unlike perspective on cryptocurrencies. There are those who think that's never going to amount to anything interesting except for some edge applications and it's not going to be a big enough market. And there are those who think that time is now to start looking at it and not miss out. Optimization is a pretty big market. Well, because anything can be reformulated to be pretty, pretty big. The question is, is it faster? Is it worth the effort to reformulate all your problem to go there only to be 10% faster or only to... Yeah. So for really giant problems, yeah. And for intractable problems, definitely. This is why cracking encryption is so interesting because it just cannot be done. And everybody agrees that it cannot. You know, if I had uh, control of a quantum computing company just to piss off people, the first thing I would do is find something to decrypt blockchain. <laughs> Completely bring it to its knees, make that ledger visible, editable, everything. And Dan, how do you monetize that as a public company with ethics? How do you monetize that? Well, uh, it's the too bad is, the, re- if I'm, the, the listeners if I'm can't see the enough, look on your face, Dan. If I'm wealthy enough to own a quantum computing company that could has a kind of intellectual horsepower to do that, I'm not going to care about monetizing it. I'm just going to laugh and laugh and laugh. Well, Dan, what you're saying is already actively being pursued. Good. If you're the first to do it, then you hopefully can prevent how others will do it. And the expectation is that all these cryptocurrencies will have a fork to a different hashing algorithm or encryption algorithm in due course. When quantum computers can get to that point and solve those problems, Dan, you're correct. Right now, they're a little expensive and a little bit hard to get but you can get at them on the cloud, probably not to no. do anything substantial. Yet. Yet. Yes. I mean, unless you pay for it. Hey, you know what time it is? It's time for Henry Newman's Reasons Why No One Should Ever Be Online Ever. <laughs> well, and this week is actually... Almost a good news story. I was reading Krebs on security, and I put the link up with so everybody can see it. It ends up that he was able to intercept someone on the nefarious side, Whoa. wanting to send him a bunch of illegal drugs, and then they were going to call the police on him. I'm going to say the illegal drug, just to fill this in, was, I believe, a gram of heroin? <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. And they, they didn't want to do it, Henry. They did it. Yes, they did do it. And Krebs got tipped off by an insider who said this is happening. So Krebs calls the cops and has them there to, I guess, sign for the FedEx package. And so everyone knows this is not the first time he's had issues. The first one was they sent a hostage situation in the SWAT team to his house. They spoofed a call from the neighborhood and said there were a hostage situation and almost killed a bunch of people. So he's kind of on guard for this. I hope the police in the neighborhood are on guard for him. But, you know, the good guys won this one. 
That's a great story. Yes. And that guy ended up going to jail. For something else. For something else for several years. Yeah. And now wants to play nice, nice with Mr. Krebs. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah. Awkward meeting. Now, Dano yeah. is going to explain to us why this means you should never be online. Because <laughs> this is the second week in a row. Henry actually has good news. <laughs> And yes, you're saying if Krebs had never been online, none of this would have ever happened. Correct. <laughs> yes. Dan, correct. That's what I was if, thinking. If exactly. you were still using a fax machine, none of this would have ever happened. <laughs> correct. And a typewriter. Just saying. Yeah. Well, that's good. And that takes us. delicately into our catch of the week nice smooth segue into that so you got one of those henry i do have one of those and i think it's interesting if you remember earlier this year and last year we were saying quantum 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 and look what happened this year it's the year of quantum and i think it's going to be a number of years of quantum but we're going to start here at the beginnings and i'm starting to see the beginnings of an interesting article in hpc wire i've seen a number of journal papers. Microsoft's doing a bunch of research with the University of Washington on DNA storage hmm. and the idea of storing bits in DNA, which you can do a lot more efficiently in terms of space power cooling than you can with conventional storage, whether it be flash or magnetic storage. Now, I still think this is quite a few years out, but I think it's within my lifetime. Really? How do you protect this uh... Henry, would your storage like get up and walk at some point if you don't feed it no, right? You just, you better, no, no, no. This is not human DNA. It's not this alive? Is, it's not alive. But could it become sentient? It cannot become alive. Hmm. It doesn't grow. You keep in the storage. You can store a lot more data in a smaller location. Right now, the problem is write performance and read performance. Those are the big challenges, but they're working on those. They had a really good clickbait quote that all the YouTube videos and a teaspoon full of DNA. Teaspoon full of spit? <laughs> I don't know how you would read them, though. How do you read them? You've got to read it back and put it in a DNA reader. Hmm. Very nice. Hmm. I, I have a feeling this a is probably farther out than quantum computing. You know what? There's more money going into quantum computing, I think, than DNA storage. Yeah, I imagine that's true. Yeah. So I'm not so sure about that. But that's my catch for the week. Nicely done. Within five years, this will become a lot bigger topic. That's well, it's been prediction. going on for a long time. I mean, I remember reading about this way back. How do you make the DNA stick on the disc? There is no disc, Dan. We just put it in a vial. Well, it's not spinning, and you're just not putting... <laughs> it it truly is. A, it's a teaspoon. <laughs> put it in a beaker. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a little, be little tiny beaker, Dan. Think of, remember your high school chemistry class. Little beaker. <laughs> You got redundant array of independent beakers. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by the way, this is naturally erasure-coded and redundant. No, it is not naturally erasure-coded. There have to be languages. ASCII for DNA has got to be created or EBCDIC or whatever the equivalent. There's got to be erasure coding done. There's got to be things like, what do you do for encryption algorithms? Because they don't last as long as DNA lasts. What kind of file system? Well, no. You know, we're, we're, no. <laughs> <laughs> but there is redundancy there, right? Because all those guanine, cytosine things, there are many of them, and the data goes into multiples of them. And can I get it in a USB stick? Let's move on. <laughs> okay. Okay, a lot of questions about this that you haven't answered, Henry, but that's okay. We'll do a show on it, Dan, okay. in the future. 
Well, let's go ahead then, uh, Shane. What do you got? So this topic is a little near and dear to my heart. Oracle was back in the news in the same sentence with the word supercomputing. They are doing a great job with the cloud, by the way. And I think their cloud is advancing quite rapidly. But in terms of this, they had at the Oracle world, they had a system made out of Raspberry Pis that had 1,060 Raspberry Pis into one powerful cluster. And this is interesting to me because if you Google it, and I'll put the link up, back in 2008, was it? In the supercomputing conference in Austin, this is when I was at SGI, and we had this thing called Project Molecule. And the idea was to have 10,000 cores in one rack, and we used Intel Atom processors. And then the challenge was how you cool it So that's the beginning of what I remember because I was involved with it. But then Los Alamos had a 750 Raspberry Pi system, if I'm not mistaken, Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago to do certain simulations and just test scalability rather than run loads on it. So it's interesting. And if you go even further back when we were at Sun Micro, we had a cluster of Java stations. This is when the Java station was like $1,000. So a 32-node system was like $30,000 and it could actually get some things done. Ben Marchand actually drove that. And so it's been happening. Did they put anything out about how much they would charge for software licenses on that Raspberry Pi cluster? Don't believe they did. Because I don't know. I always think that Oracle starts with the pricing first and then everything else. Well, let's just say that the spreadsheet has an important role there. Yes. Yes. You know what, Dan? Companies need to make money and be profitable. Yes. I am all for that. Even you need to be profitable. I agree there wholeheartedly. But take a look at some of those contracts. They're a little rough. (laughs) Okay, now I've got a catch of the week here too, which is something that could change everything, be a huge game changer, and yet not now. It's a generator that runs on heat escaping to the sky. Wow. Yeah. So this is going to be on the right side of global warming. It will be. Yeah. It only costs $30. It was done by a guy at the University of California, LA, UCLA, and they tested it out on a rooftop at Stanford on a clear night, midnight temperature of one degree Celsius. It generated enough power to switch on an LED light, which is 25 milliwatts. (laughs) So, huh, I went ahead and kind of spreadsheeted that out and a milliwatt and 25 of them is not very much. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, given this thing costs $30, it's got a payback of 76 years. (laughs) It's, it's 25 milliwatts per square meter, Dan. Per square meter. Yes, that's exactly right. Per square meter. Not very dense. Not very dense. But it has a lifetime, I think, an estimated lifetime of about 20 years. So not quite a positive payback. But they do believe that they can do a lot better. It does have some toxic and exotic materials in it. But they think that they can improve on this. And it's a really cool thing to experiment with. So really what we need is DNA storage in a quantum computer powered by this thing. That's really what we need. I think DNA storage is pretty low energy, isn't it, Henry? Except for the chillers? No, because you keep it at ambient temperature. Except for reading and writing, it's free. Hmm. Well, I think it depends on where your ambient temperature is. Is your DNA going to survive at 115 degrees in Baker, California? Probably not. Just don't put it under sunlight. Yeah. Yeah, shade. Yeah, I, that, those, <laughs> those are issues, yes. Shade storage. Yeah, shade storage. Or nighttime storage. Nighttime storage. That would be great. Well, with that, let's call this an episode and wrap it up. Thank you all for listening. Be sure and check us out on Twitter. And our Twitter handle again is, what is it, Shane? 
at Radio Free HPC. Simple enough. At Radio Free HPC. And we'll probably tweet something. We'll tweet about this episode at least. So that's worth following us. Yeah, that's what it looks like we're doing, is to just announce new episodes. Extremely self-referential. But that's okay. How many subscribers do we have? Have we picked up any? I imagine we're up to nine now. So we're almost there. That's, what, two-thirds of our listening audience? That's pretty good growth. Couldn't ask for better. Yes. (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening. Thanks for following us on Twitter. And we will see you again sometime soon on Radio Free HPC. Boom. And there you go. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.